This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with my friend, uh, frequent guest, and uh, occasional uh, co-conspirator in various things, Larry Allen. Larry, welcome back, man. Mark, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, anytime. Um, (laughs) Because we we never (laughs) run out of stuff to talk about. So uh, give give me a 30-second commercial here on Larry and Allen Federal. Mark, Allen Federal is working with companies today on different ways to improve their government business, whether it's a compliance issue that you expect you have, a compliance issue that you know you have, or maybe you need somebody to uh, take a look at your strategic business plan because you're stuck in the water. Allen Federal can help. Indeed, they can. And that's why I often call on you for uh, various clients or people who are asking for things that I don't do. And I appreciate you being there. So let's start. We're going to be talking today largely about end of FY and uh, a little about CR. And and I want to start kind of in, in that arena. Give me the lay of the land as it, as it shows up right now, Larry. Mark, the lay of the land of this part of the federal world is that uh, for some types of procurements, it might be later than you think. So you have to get on the move. That's especially true if you or your customer agency are going to use assisted acquisition services. Those are the assisted acquisition functions from either the GSA or the Department of Interior's Interior Business Center or even NITAC has assisted acquisitions. A lot of those will shut down at least formally sometime in June. So we're almost there right now as we tape this. And that doesn't leave a lot of time for people to get a lot of new, larger acquisitions that may need assisted acquisition help. Uh, it's, It's also a little bit later in the year because I think that things are going to start to, uh, heat up uh, a little early as agencies try to get out in front of some expected uh, policy changes coming from the Biden administration. They're not going to be able to get everything out of the door early, but I think there's going to be a push to get some things out the door before policy changes are implemented. And then I think we're going to see some things marked done very late in the fiscal year indeed that may look different. Uh, in terms of an acquisition plan than what industry has been told by their government customers to date. Okay. I want to you know, talk about the perpetual elephant in the room. So we started the year in, in a CR um, and we're you know, kind of making up ground now. But talk about some issues that arise from working during that CR environment. Mark, probably the biggest issue is that your federal customer can't start a new project while they're working under a continuing resolution. So long as they're 
relied on appropriated money to fund that project. So some agencies have capital funds, some agencies have revolving funds, but really most of the projects that you as a contractor work on are paid out of appropriated funds. And if you don't have appropriated funds at the start of the fiscal year, then you can't start your project. And that's really one of the biggest thing that happens under a CR. If Congress doesn't get it together and pass appropriations until say January, then you can't work on any new projects that have appropriated funds until probably February or even March. That's notable because that's not only what happened this year, Mark, it's a lock dead certainty to happen at the beginning of the next fiscal year as well. Some people, some people who follow the budget process much more closely than I do, and I follow it closely, have predicted that we may end up with a continuing resolution for FY22 that lasts into February. Mark, we've seen that recently, but that's not good government. It's not helpful for government agencies. It's not helpful for government contractors. Certainly, last couple of years, we've been a little lucky uh, as far as these things go by having a CR only really for the first quarter. Uh, but now we're hearing predictions that it could be well into the second quarter for the next fiscal year. So be prepared. And that makes getting the business done this fiscal year, even if it's something that only starts a little bit, all that more important. Okay, Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, small businesses capitalizing at, uh, at end of FY. I mean, small businesses outnumber large by what, 100 to 1, 1,000 to 1. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot, right. Depending on how, and, and even if you don't use the SBA definitions, there's a lot of, of companies out there doing with a business, doing business with the government that technically are in that mid tier, but they're legitimately small. So Mark, I think that the end of this fiscal year for small businesses is going to be particularly strong. That's because we've seen this administration telegraph their desire to have more things done via small businesses, especially minority small businesses. In fact, I was talking to a client just the other day who said that uh, exactly what I predicted, one of the agencies that they were expecting a big RFP to come out from told them, hey, guys, we saw that you've been tracking this for a while. We're going to pull this off the street. We're getting a lot of pressure to repurpose this as a small business set aside. That's how it's going to come out. It's going to come out that way at the end of the year. I suspect, Mark, we're going to see more and more procurements come out of small business set asides towards the end of the year, uh, which is going to benefit those types of businesses that are set up to do prime contracting uh, as small firms. You know, similarly, further bolstering the benefits for small business. Look, every federal agency has a small business uh, contracting goal they have to meet. That's certainly going to come into play. It always does. Maybe you've done really well in meeting your minority business uh, goal for the year, but maybe you're, as a result, your hub zone goal is way under. So you're going to be looking to do hub zone procurements at the end of the fiscal year. It's that type of thing that is further going to put small businesses in the driver's seat. So if you're a large business, my recommendation is 
make sure you've got exceptionally tight relationships with your small business partners, particularly the ones that are going to be in the minority and women-owned classifications, because that's where I think you're going to see a lot of activity. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because uh, I think it was in this calendar year, uh, maybe the last, or not calendar, the, the FY, that the SBA kind of changed the rules on the mentor-protege to make the payoff for the protege much more palpable. Well, that's a very good point. We haven't touched on that, but that's still another factor, Mark, that I think will uh, drive uh, small business benefits. The Mentor-Protege program has recently gotten some new infusions of energy into it. You talked about payment process. There's also changes that make it easier for small businesses to come together and form teams, kind of unofficial joint ventures to pursue projects, particularly larger IDIQ contracts. Uh, we've seen some recent court holdings, GAO holdings that have called agencies out for expecting mentor-protege arrangements to be able to meet standards that are in clear violation of what SBA rules say they have to meet. So uh, this all uh, shapes up to put mentor protege programs uh, in a very good place, particularly if you're a company that's teaming together for some large upcoming IDIQs, whether it's the still coming soon from uh, NIH, the CIOSB4, or something from GSA like Polaris that is on the drawing board. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the big drawing board. Uh, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I shall return with Larry right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Larry Allen of Allen Federal. You can find Larry on LinkedIn. The Allen part is A L L E N. You can also find him at allenfederal.com. All one word. So, um, there's just so many things to talk about when it comes to end of FY, and we're going to touch on a lot of them, but you, you referenced new projects in the last segment. So let's take a deeper dive into that because, you know, if, if, if ha, 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 when we go into another CR October one, um, you can't start new projects. Uh, so why and how to get them started now? Well, I think the, it's essential to try and get as many projects started right now as you can, Mark, uh, before the end of this fiscal year. Right now is when agencies have money. And while they may have it to obligate to certain projects, I think there's a strong argument to be made to pushing some projects ahead uh, into this fiscal year and spreading the money out a little bit as much as your customer agency has the flexibility to do that. Uh, it's important because I think we're in for a very long temporary CR status uh, for the start of FY22. Look, we don't have a president's budget request right now. While the appropriators on Capitol Hill are doing the work that they need to do there's every expectation that we're going to have uh, a continuing resolution. And I, the smart money, at least right now, is on one that will take us 
four months at least into the fiscal year, maybe five. And as a result, if you're a contractor or a government agency, you want to think about how you can get out ahead of that curve. Maybe you take smaller amounts of money and obligate them to projects for this year, and then you take some of the money and obligate it to projects that you hadn't planned to start until next year, but you can start now. Uh, or maybe you've got some revolving fund or capital money that enables you to start a project right now. More agencies have capital funds uh, that they can use. The idea is if you can start something now by the end of the fiscal year, it's an existing project. And continuing resolutions don't allow you to start something new using that money, but they absolutely do allow you to continue doing something that you already started. So you're making life easier uh, for your government agency customer if you're a contractor by recommending that. As a government customer, you're actually making your agency's life easier because there'll be less interruption in your mission. You'll be able to have greater continuity of operations. And of course, if you're a contractor, that's a better deal for you because you get to have some business now and some business later without having to hold your breath or your cash flow for a real long time at the start of FY22. Okay. Um, so, you know, either get it going or maybe kiss it goodbye. <laughs> well, there's that concern too. And that's not really monetary. It's not necessarily tied to the budget. But one of the things that you do have to look at is uh, what some of the administration's initiatives are going to be on uh, you know, minority business contracting. What are they going to be on green procurement? What are they going to be on, you know, some of the other socioeconomic goals that, you know, made in America that are going to definitely have an impact on government acquisition. Uh, so, and I, I, I'm forecasting that you will see some projects uh, delayed. Some projects may uh, be uh, going to the chopping block, broken up into small pieces and competed out over you know, this fiscal year and the next. Uh, so uh, the we haven't seen this yet, Mark, but we are going to definitely see it during the fourth quarter, ironically, just as you're trying to close a lot of business, there's going to be a lot of new socioeconomic policies in the form of rules that come out that will change that, how that business is done. Will, will, it come, will those come out in time to impact this FY, though? It's a great question. My guess, my educated guess, based on my 31 years of experience, is that in some cases, the answer is going to be yes. I think some of these policy priorities are of high enough importance that we're going to see them come out as interim rules, not just proposals. And an interim rule is usually effective either on the date it appears in the Federal Register or very soon after, like days or weeks, not months. So if you get an interim rule, just for example, one of the top priorities is Made in America. If you get a Made in America rule that comes out in July, it's almost certainly going to come out as an interim rule, which means that you're going to have to uh, sell with that new policy change 
for any business that's transacted from the effective date onward. Uh, as you like to say, Mark, hello, <laughs> that could dis disrupt your acquisition plans a little bit, whether you're a contractor or a government agency, right at your busiest time of year. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, you know, not when you want it to happen, uh, because, you know, the, the use it or lose it syndrome is what drives the quote frenzy at the end of FY, but so does that damn CR. <laughs> so right the, well it's going to be it's not going to be a dull end of year that's for sure well it never is i mean from my perspective even if i'm primarily on the sidelines it's always uh vastly amusing slash interesting to to watch um you mentioned green a, a couple of minutes ago um is is green becoming good again what's going on here are we are we going to be in lead buildings or? Mark, absolutely green is good. And it's not just going to be lead certified buildings that the government's in. The government's gonna to wanna to know whether you, the contractor, uh, operate space or uh, use space in a lead certified building. And they're gonna to wanna to know a little bit more about uh, how uh, eco-friendly your supply chains are. They expect them to be secure but they're also going to expect them to uh, have an impact, a positive impact on things like a carbon footprint. So we saw this happening uh, a little bit at the end of the Obama administration. Uh, we're going to definitely see this happen now uh, at the outset of the Biden administration. Uh, and while most of the initial attention is going to be on downsizing federal uh, office space and you know, maybe turning the federal fleet, uh, automotive fleet over to all electric. Make no mistake, Mark, the green initiative is going to fall on companies that supply products and services as well, large, medium, and small businesses. And they're going to have to show their uh, eco-citizenship uh, merit badge. Okay. You know, it, it, it's funny because the first major speech I gave on LinkedIn was uh, in 2009 in Virginia Beach in what was then their brand new lead certified convention center. And the, uh, the guy who ran the, uh, the center gave me a, you know, not a detailed tour, but a 30 minute walking tour of the facility. And it, it was cool. It was just really, really nice and uh, extremely attractive. And I'm assuming it still is. Well, I, uh, uh, there's going to be a lot to be said for operating out of a lead building. I think uh, it's more or less going to be a, a given at some point that if you're doing business with the government, you're in a lead uh, certified building. And the higher the certification, the better off you could potentially be. Okay. So, um, I mean, you know, Jimmy Carter tried to get uh, solar panels cooking back in the, in the 70s, and it met with huge resistance, primarily due to the, the oil industry. Are there, are there going to be any significant impediments to a green movement this time? I think that contractors need to be a very watchful mark of what the specific rules are that the administration comes out with. You could either see a little 
or a lot of added cost to your government business processes. Uh, and it kind of depends on both whether you as a company have already proactively adopted uh, environmentally friendly working practices and working policies. You have, you know, things that, you know, that allow people to work remotely. So they're staying off the roads, not polluting, that type of thing. Uh, do you have a lead building? Do you have, you know, some other, you know, recycling policy in place, those types of things. That's what I mean when, about my earlier comment about, you know, your eco-friendly merit badge. Uh, some companies have taken those proactive steps. Some haven't been so proactive. This is definitely going to be a social policy that the administration wants to impose. And the easiest way to impose it is through the government contractor community. So if you don't have it, you're going to have to adapt to uh, these uh, requirements if you want to continue doing government business. And to the extent that you haven't done it, it could be very expensive uh, indeed uh, at a time when other expenses are coming your way as well, like uh, CMMC certification, complying with Section 889 IT rules. Uh, probably we can expect to see some changes to how you subcontract with small businesses if you're a large business. Uh, so, uh, a, you know, a nickel here, a nickel there, it starts to add up. Yeah, it just occurred to me, totally off topic, but I bet when your children hear you talking about this stuff, they get as excited as mine do. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter, Mark, always tells me that she has no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, I've heard that a few times. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Larry and I shall return yet again. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with my friend, my uh, my co-conspirator, and uh, somebody I refer business to regularly, Larry Allen. Um, Larry, uh, buy American rules, new ones. What? Yes, we're going to see some new buy American rules under the general heading mark of Made in America. That's the term that this administration has chosen to uh, be the banner for this uh, activity. Uh, they've appointed a new person in the Office of Management and Budget to review all of the Buy American Act waivers that have been granted up till now. And uh, they will be the office that reviews all uh, future waiver requests with, uh, I think we can take as a given a much higher bar of what uh, would uh, constitute the ability to get a waiver. Uh, but it doesn't just stop there, Mark. I think we're really talking, we already have seen, uh, this is something that started under the Trump administration and it's come out now as a final rule on Buy America for things like construction items, uh, steel and, and uh, iron content. You know, that's kind of the opening salvo in this uh, front so, you know, if you're, if you're selling steel or iron building materials, they now have to have a much higher, they either have to be made in America or that you face a much more severe penalty in terms of bid offsets uh, if they aren't. Do we have the, the production capacity for steel? 
uh, unknown, but you know, this is certainly something that uh, will spur uh, domestic production. That's what it's intended to do. Pittsburgh, let's go dudes. It will also spur, I think, higher prices, uh, at least in the interim as people ramp up anytime you have a scarcity uh, when demand outstrips supply, we've seen that in several <laughs> several parts of the economy. Gas. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that's certainly one area, but I, I think it's also important to understand that the Made in America initiative and the office at OMB that's uh, running it is definitely going to take a look at how the Buy American Act interplays with the Trade Agreements Act. So it's not just, oh, well, you know, my contracts are covered by the Trade Agreements Act. I'm not anticipating any change there. You should. Still too early to say what it's going to look like or how extensive it's going to be, but uh, how Trade Agreements Act interfaces with the Buy American Act, how it's covered, the contracts that it's used on, you know, those things may change. The thresholds at which they're applied may change. Uh, which means that you know you that could have a definite impact on a contractor supply chain it could have a definite impact on your pricing so uh it all bears a very careful attention uh mark for both the buy american and trade agreements act how they're applied what the uh benefits are what the bonus is for being buy american act compliant and what the impact is on our international bilateral multilateral trade agreements if we start tinkering with how we uh, apply the trade agreements act to u.s procurements if we push here on one side on the trade agreements act it will pop out on another area at the opposite side uh, potentially poking an ally in a place they don't want to be poked uh, which could set off some uh, other trade-related activity. So uh, this is uh, not easy work, and it is uh, ripe for unintended consequences that uh, transcend government acquisition. Uh, and I actually think we're going to see something on this before the end of the fiscal year. So uh, it could be an interesting summer. Um, yeah, I mean, anything that muddies the water, right? Um, <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and give it a whirl. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, government, government acquisition can always move on, on a dime, right? We can, we can seamlessly, oh, yeah. seamlessly implement new policy changes right at the time when we're trying to get all of our procurements out the door. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, I don't know why they call me, but they'll email me. They'll reach out through LinkedIn. Uh, they'll they'll call, and people say, "How does this impact me?" And I'm going, "Ask Larry." Uh, right. Well, the bottom line is, it's too early to tell how it's going to impact anybody unless you're supplying construction material. That's the only guidance. What we do know is that there will be additional guidance writ large. Uh, and people really want to uh, be aware of what it's going to say. Okay. So like four or five years ago, there was like six people in the universe that knew what an OTA was. Um, now everybody and their brother wants one. <laughs> right. So what's, what's going on here? 
Well, what we've seen, Mark, is you know, really the expansion of OTAs, not just in terms of sheer numbers, but in circumstances where the OTA, other transaction authority capability is being used. Even though Congress expanded OTA use several years ago, it really expanded it with the idea that more types of acquisitions qualify, but for things that are not in current production, it was still heavily targeted at R&D uh, and maybe even first run production capabilities could be done under uh, another transaction authority OTA contract. You know, these are non-FAR based uh, acquisitions that uh, are meant to be done quickly and easily. Uh, you have a whole mix of players that participate in the OTA market, and that's another reason why it's growing in popularity. You have university-led consortia that are comprised of sometimes of uh, small businesses, but also uh, freak more frequently now of traditional large government contractors. They're members of consortia as well. And we've seen lately uh, two really public instances where they used the OTA acquisition uh, authority to buy things that are commercial products. They're not first run, they're not R&D related, and they were for a lot of money. Uh, one was 28 million, I forget how much the other one was, but it was for a similar dollar amount. So we're talking about some, some real money going through for commercial item acquisitions where OTA is the platform of choice for the actual acquiring. Uh, that really puts OTAs in a really different light. Uh, and if you're gonna start using uh, OTAs for more regular types of acquisitions, it certainly is gonna bring a lot of scrutiny on that transaction method, but it certainly is going to drive interest from that many more contractors. Uh, if you can do it quickly, if you can do it with uh, a minimal amount of competition, if you can uh, do it without having all these pesky government audit rights and other things that come from doing a FAR-based procurement, who wouldn't want to sign up for it? Uh, so I, I think that uh, we'll definitely see more uh, and broader types of OTA uh, acquisitions done between now and the end of the fiscal year. Uh, and then uh, sometime next year, there'll be the inevitable GAO and IG reports on how that went. Okay, so one of the things that I've heard, uh, and I'm not expert, so I'm asking, uh, once an OTA is awarded, it can't be protested. That's right. I mean, these would be, they're not, these are not FAR-based acquisitions. They're not protestable to GAO. I mean, you could uh, potentially take somebody to court, but that's expensive. And, you know, I would consult with your outside counsel before you make that determination, uh, whether or not that's either possible or practical. Uh, you know, one of the nice things about being able to go to the GAO is it doesn't relatively cost a lot of money. Uh, because it's an informal process. If you're going to litigate something formally, the costs are exponentially higher, the timelines are longer, uh, and that would certainly make, I think, a lot of companies think twice, even if they had the ability to do it. But 
you know, you can't, uh, you know, take, uh, you can't protest an award based on somebody's follow, fail, failure to follow the FAR if the FAR wasn't in play to begin with. Okay. Um, intriguing. Uh, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Larry and I will wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Uh, I'm wrapping up today's show with Larry Allen of Allen Federal. Again, you can find him at allenfederal.com, A-L-L-E-N, or you can find him on LinkedIn. Let's talk about some things that people can do to make some money at end of FY. You know, we, we both have worked with a lot of, uh, of product companies, both IT and non-IT, and it's not uncommon to see, you know, some sort of spiff program come into play in the, uh, in the final quarter. Uh, that's exactly right. You know, if you're a reseller or, or distributor or you know, not an OEM, there is, can be definite incentive programs put in place by the companies that you're doing business with to register deals early and get business uh, in the door uh, by the end of the year, which can be very beneficial for you as the contractor. If you're going after this business at the end of the fiscal year, I think there are always a couple of key things to remember, uh, Mark. One is, as a contractor, never assume that your customer has an acquisition method that they like. Certainly, there are some customers that do have an acquisition method planned out, and that will, those situations will be obvious to you but not everybody has one. So if you are the contractor, you want to be in a position to recommend, hey, look at NASA soup, or hey, have you looked at doing this as a, a small business <clears throat> set aside? Let me tell you the benefits of these uh, acquisition methods for you. You know, it's fast, efficient, and you know, when you've got a lot of things to do, those, can, those tend to be uh, important factors. You know. You get good competition, good pricing if you run things through uh, an IDIQ like Soup, you know, whatever the case is. Uh, and, and IDIQ contracts like Soup, like the GSA schedules, like Alliant and COSP3 are very, very popular at the end of the fiscal year because they are that much easier to use and agencies can make more buys more quickly using those programs. Year-over-year statistics show, Mark, that these programs do a substantial amount of their business in the last part of the fiscal year. And I would anticipate that being true again now. So uh, make sure that you've got the products and services on those contracts that you wanna sell. Don't try to add something to your GSA schedule in 48 hours because that would be very difficult, if not impossible, to do, uh, particularly if it's a large, new type of offering. Otherwise, you know, outside of the acquisition means, I'm always, I always think people should be looking at their partner networks, uh, leveraging the relationships that your partners have for that year-end business, pursuing business together. You know, you've got something that you bring to the table. Your partner is bringing somebody to the table. Maybe what they're bringing to the table is the relationship with the customer that you don't have. That can be very important, uh, particularly at year end where federal buyers tend not to want to talk to brand new companies that they don't have any experience with so much. 
Right. So that can be an important tactic to leverage those relationships. It can also be a tactic you use to leverage their size standards. You know, I mentioned earlier, small disadvantaged business, women-owned business, veteran-owned business, if you're pursuing business at the Department of Veterans Affairs, is particularly uh, important, not to say vital, and making sure that you have those types of relationships now so that you're not trying to throw everything together at the last minute because that tends to fall apart. And then uh, your government customer is looking at you and wondering what went wrong. That's not a situation that a contractor ever wants to find itself in. Uh, so, but there, these are some definite things you can work on now to make sure that you've got everything good to go when you need it. Well, yeah, and, and I had this conversation. Uh, I'm part of the Government Marketing University, and I, I co-chair one of the special interest groups, the ideation call, which is uh, Tuesday and Friday mornings at, at 9 a.m. We, we get together, and usually Tuesday, somebody leads a discussion, and Friday's kind of a free-for-all. But we, we had an end-of-FY discussion the other day, and you know, a couple of people brought up that this is a really good time to show your sales and BD people the the types of materials you have that can facilitate uh, or bring to fruition those uh, end of FY buys. Something like a white paper, something like a case study. If a program manager or a contracting officer has some trepidation and you can show success through one of these things, you know, those are pretty mundane. They've been with us forever, right? Um, they have been with us forever, but the surprising thing for me is that companies will go into meetings with government customers with good opportunities, and they don't have one of those already prepared. More than <laughs> once, Mark, I've seen companies that uh, have good chance at pursuing government business and they get them so they have a great discussion. The customer is interest, interested in them. And then it takes two weeks to get a white paper out. That just doesn't really cut it when you're getting into the summertime months. That customer has other priorities. They're going to have other people they're talking to. They may really like your solution on Tuesday. But if you don't have a white paper or other material to follow up with them on Thursday, the chances of them keeping that interest go down. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the classic story, you know, you see somebody do a presentation at a conference and you really enjoyed it. And three days later, you can't remember the name. <laughs> right, right. You know, doesn't matter who it was, but, you know, there you go. So and any other end of FY, you know, you, you talk about, you know, soup, the other uh, GWAX IDIQs and quote, best in class contracts. If you don't have one, is it too late now in mid-May to go after uh, a relationship with a prime on one of those vehicles to queue such stuff up? I don't think it's too late now, but you better have a, a good deal that or deals plural that you've got mm -hmm. uh, that's particularly critical when we get into june and july otherwise you know the people who own these vehicles are going to be busy with their own business or with partners that do have specific deals that they they're working on uh, so it can't just be the hey i really like the cut of your jib let's partner 
there has to be some real meat on the table uh, to do that. Uh, but it's not too late. And that's really the only way you can get uh, some access to some of these vehicles like SOUP, like CRSP3, uh, like the, some of the major IDIQs in, in the Navy and the Army uh, is to leverage a relationship with somebody that already owns one of those contracts. Uh, it's probably a good idea to have some passing understanding of the scope of those contracts so that you know, you're not trying to, to bolt on uh, something that doesn't fit. So you want to know that and you want to give them some opportunity and some idea of why it is they want to talk to you. And, you know, business, identifiable business is the best cure for that particular solution. Uh, one other thing I would say, Mark, about the end of fiscal year is focus. I, and not every agency, not even all my clients that pay me for this advice follow it, but people should. Uh, and that is when you get towards the end of the fiscal year, you need to focus on the things that are likely to be the high percentage payoffs for you. doesn't mean that you totally shut off thinking about new things that could come in. Everybody could use a bluebird now and then. But if your end of year approach to the market is a flock of bluebirds, that's not good either. <laughs> you need to be able to focus in on opportunities that you've been tracking where you actually have relationships, either with the agency or with the vendor that you're working with. And you, that does mean you're going to have to let some lower percentage opportunities go by the wayside but not everybody can be everywhere at once. And if you try to stretch your resources too thin uh, and get your head turned by the next thing that comes around, you're going to end the fiscal year with nothing in your pipe to, to show for it. And that's not good either. Pyrite, dude, trolls gold. Uh, it's everywhere. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I know we discussed this a little earlier, but I want to emphasize it. Um, Odds of an on-time budget for FY22 are zero. Drum roll, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if, if if your prognostications are correct, and and I I bet on yours, um, and we don't have anything before Christmas, um, what's the upshot? So so here's the deal. To put it in a frame of reference, Mark. The last couple of years, uh, we have had Congress pass appropriations right around Christmas. This year, they passed it before uh, Christmas, which is terrific. Uh, it'd be better if they did it at the end of September, but you know we know that's not going to happen. So the end of Christmas kind of becomes the uh, the due date, the end of the calendar year. Uh, and if they pass the appropriation in the middle of December, it probably means that money in individual accounts is released by OMB by the middle to end of January because it takes that lag time for the money to actually get where it's supposed to be. So if we're talking about uh, appropriations happening in February, it's still going to be that lag time. So if that happens February 5th, March 5th, March 15th is the time when individual accounts would have their money. It's not So it's not just bad that the appropriations were several months late. It's actually worse because you have to add at least a month on to that time frame before your customer 
has an idea about what they can actually spend. And it's similarly worse because agencies by now, Mark, build in the anticipation that they're going to have to operate for the first quarter of each fiscal year under a CR. One of the perverse things about never getting the budget done on time is that people adapt to that and they plan accordingly. So uh, if there's no uh, budget, there are no appropriations that come in in October or November, December, hey, we've got this covered, we're experienced with it. But when you start to take it out beyond that and you get into January, February and the beginning of March potentially, uh, that's a, a real uh, danger zone when agencies are going to start to scramble for how they meet their basic missions and contractors are going to be scrambling for uh, cash flow and actual business to put on the books. We don't really want to get into the situation where government business is a one quarter wonder. Uh, and we're, we're you know, moving in that direction. And only a limited number of companies are going to be able to have the wherewithal to make to live on that type of model where it's a one quarter wonder land and everything else is just, you know, triples and uh, darts that come in. Uh, so it doesn't benefit anyone well. And that's why I think we keep coming back to it. Uh, always a pleasure, man. I got to say this was great. <laughs> Hey, Mark, I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, look forward to uh, talking with you and your listeners. We appreciate it. Uh, Larry Allen, Allen Federal, find him on LinkedIn. This is not my day job. I advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government, but over the last several years, you may have noticed that I focus on a platform called LinkedIn. Uh, I do have a social selling for end of FY. Uh, program available. It's a 90-minute uh, online workshop, uh, not a public session uh, for each company. Um, so if you are interested in that, drop me a line, Mark Amtower at Gmail. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 